Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode of Super Fantastic Nerd Hour. I am H.A. Conrad, here as always with my wonderful colleague and friend and co-host, Ali Matu. Hello, Ali. How's it going, Conrad? I'm a little confused at what year it is because we've been doing a lot of time travel on Super Fantastic Nerd Hour lately. Yeah, we have. We have. It, it seems to be our favorite topic of late. Of late. Um, favorite topic of 2015. Right. Or is it of the beginning? I don't know. Who knows? Um, But we are on episode 53, and we are talking about yet another time travel movie, which is Predestination. And I am so excited to talk about this with you because immediately after I saw this, I was like, Ollie has to watch this and we have to talk about this. (laughs) Which is basically what our communication was about this. And we're going to have a fun discussion because we're also going to be talking about the source material. Um, We're going to put Predestination versus All You Zombies, a very, very short story written by Robert Heinlein. Um, and we have a cool top five. What's in the top five? Uh, top five is our top five favorite plot twists in films. So I'm curious to see if we have a mind meld on any of those. Probably will. And we should mention that we are going to do a non-spoiler discussion of Predestination first because it's a film we, um, you know, that mm. not a lot of people have heard about. I don't know exactly how we do that, Ali, but I'm uh, sure... It's going to be tough. <laughs> I am sure willing to try, but I would say... We will have to, it will be a pretty quick. It'll be quick because there's not much you could say. And we're going to keep our top five spoiler free too because it's top five film plot twists and mm-hmm. we could ruin a lot of plots that way. Um, so Conrad, how did you even hear about this film? Because I I had never heard about it until you mentioned it and now I've, I've read about it a lot after seeing it and there's a lot of information on the internet. But how did you hear about this thing? Well, actually, I think we both heard about it from our friend Dan Gottesman. Mm. who had mentioned it on, I want to say Facebook or Twitter, and had recommended that we take a look at this. And I'm very glad that he did, because (laughs) he was absolutely right. This was right up our alley. So um, he mentioned it, and this is, it was originally released uh, overseas first. So, um, and this is... um, it's Sorry. an Australian, an Australian film. Australian it, film. It's it's been completed for a while. They had their uh, global premiere at South by the Southwest at the film festival um, just about a year ago, March 2014. But it is an Australian film. Um, it's uh, I never even heard of these directors before. Uh, but it's directed by the uh, Spring Brothers. Spring. I when I Sparig. first. When I was first reading about this film and who made it, I, I misread it as Spielberg because that's just where my <laughs> mind went. And I, and I was like, no, no, not Spielberg, Spielberg. And I was like, okay. Now, this would have been a very different film if it was a Spielberg film. Right. Uh, and he, uh, they are the team, uh, Michael and Peter Spielberg are the team behind Daybreakers. I did not see that film. Was that? Uh, I loved that film. Really? Yeah. It's. I, I mean, there's, there's definitely. I've heard that now from a few people. There's definitely parts of it that are, you know, it's, it's a vampire film, but it's done very well, and it's, it's an interesting idea and plot device that they have going on so I don't want to give too much away with it but it it was fun it was a lot of fun it was and I didn't expect to like it when I did but I watched it because I love Ethan Hawke that's yeah (laughs) join the club so 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 I decided to watch it and was pleasantly surprised in fact I think I forced Wadman to watch that with me and he 
was not as thrilled with it as I was, but I don't <laughs> think he hated it. Well, this is this is a director team that I want to keep my eye on. Uh, they so after Daybreakers, they did Predestination, which we're talking about today, and their next film is Winchester Mystery House, which is a film about the Winchester family and the Winchester Mystery House. Um, I just grew up down the street from it. It is a, a big part of my childhood back in uh, San Jose, California. So I had no idea they're making a film about about that it's place. A, it's a pretty cool family. place. I've never actually gotten to go inside. We've been meaning to try to do that a few times, um, but we're not able to to basically get it together enough to carve out the time to because you want to dedicate time to walk through that although i did hear i did hear this past year i think they were allowing sleepovers yeah they've done that every now and then there's like halloween at winchester mystery house and it's uh it's a scary time but conrad you just need to know the secret knock to get in to uh, (laughs) through the trap door in the back and it's all good i'll show you okay locals know it cool um so you know, not a team directing team that I was int- uh, really familiar with, but Ethan Hawke. I mean, I love this guy from Gattaca to the Before Trilogy, and I just saw Boyhood a couple of weeks ago. I really like this guy, and um, not just because I think he kind of looks like friend of the show Randy, but um, he he takes on these roles that are um, a little bit more unusual. And in fact, what he said about this film um, after he read it, he said, um, "What the f did I?" Just read and that's kind of what got mm-hmm. him involved in this project he likes these kind of peculiar films and that's what really got me into uh, interested in it so dan godisman gave us a recommendation and then ethan hawk sold it on me and you know time travel ethan hawk sci-fi i am in i think pretty much anything ethan hawk you're in let's just face this this truth i yeah i think i've got a you got a little look at a little thing for him. It's okay. I got a little sci-fi Ethan Hawke. There, there's no shame in this. There's no shame in yeah, this. Yeah, I've got an Ethan Hawke existential role crush. On, <laughs> yeah, because all these films, he he is very like, what does it mean, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, so uh, okay, what the heck do we say without giving any spoilers, Conrad? I would say that it is a time travel movie with a lot of turns and twists, and you're going to want to watch it again after you finish watching it. And yeah, that is pretty much all I can say. It, uh, it Yeah. Um, I will say it's a very small film. Um, only a few major characters. Um, it feels very intimate. It, um, I think AV Club called this a budget Chris Nolan film. And it, it kind of has that vibe. Um, it even has kind of a Hans Zimmer score kind of vibe. Uh, so I think if you like... Um, you know, it reminds me a lot of different science fiction. Um, Looper is one one that comes to mind. And Looper was also kind of a very small, intimate science fiction film. So I think if you like this genre, you like time travel, you should check it out. Um, I'm, I'm going to go on record before we get into spoilers and say I, I thoroughly enjoyed this film despite its flaws and it's got some. Um, but I think you, you summed it up right there, Conrad. You want to watch it again and not necessarily necessarily out of confusion but because you enjoy the journey and you enjoy the actors doing what they do so um i give it a all in my two thumbs up and i would also say you know in terms of the filming i think it was done well in and given that the cast is small they move things around very well and the interaction with the actors the cast the filming of it 
the effects even given that it didn't have an enormous budget i thought were all very well done yes absolutely so and i honestly wish there were more films like this going on out there (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) because it's, it's so interesting and yeah of course it has flaws but all films do. So, but well, I, got, I didn't leave this feeling like it was a budget film. No, no. It, it was very, um, very well made. And we got to mention Sarah Snook, who mm-hmm. um, she plays one of the one of the other main characters in this film. And uh, she is just a phenomenal. Um, I, I would like to see a lot more of her. Oh, absolutely. Um, Me too. I would like she, to see her in a lot more films. I think she did it such an incredible job in this and she's really not very well known i mean she's done some films not here in america not really here in america and she's done some television but she's just not uh, a well-known person yet i and i hope that the yet changes <laughs> as in terms of what she does in the u.s i hope this gets her n- new products and and i hope she gets busy in terms of her filmmaking because i think she was just an amazing job yeah, you know, pretty much every review, whether they love this film or hate it, um, do speak to Sarah Snook and her powerful performance in this role. Um, like like the budget of the film, like the score, like the direction, they, they weren't really working with a lot of money or a lot of big names, but um, everything is so well done, so well made, and uh, Snook just really just brought it for this role. She did a great job. And it also had a, a, a smaller role. He's in the film quite a bit, but not as, not as much as, as Sarah Snook and Ethan Hawke, Noah, Noah Taylor, who is in some of my favorite films. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the film the year my voice broke. I have not. Um, and flirting. He was just incredible in these and he was a teenager when he did them. They're Australian films that I highly recommend. You should definitely check them out. Um, and flirting actually has a very young Nicole Kidman in it. Oh, well, I am a Nicole Kidman fan. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) since I was a a young lad. All your crushes are being revealed on this show. Oh man. I hope people don't listen to the show too closely. (laughs) Lots of stuff. Too much stuff is revealed about me. Getting back on track. Um, this film is available on demand. Um, Mm -hmm. it, you can, I think there, it is playing in some theaters. It has a limited release, but you can uh, get this on pretty much any video on demand, uh, for purchase or rent right now it's not on netflix streaming but um i i, I think i think, we... it's, I think it's worth it i wished that um i i watched it that way so i you know and i do i hope it gets a wider release in theaters i think that it's a really interesting film that a lot of people would enjoy so i get i hope it gets some of the coverage it, it is getting a lot of press so i i just wanted to build and i wanted to, con- to continue because i think they've done amazing work here so. Yeah, yeah. You know, this would be a great film to watch this time of year in a theater because there's, um, you know, there's a lot of big Oscar buzz and a lot of those those films are kind of out right now. But there isn't really much sci-fi out mm-hmm. besides besides this. So this is a good one to check out. And um, it's just this is another interesting story here, Conrad. I know we talked about this when we uh, uh, discussed Snowpiercer and um, as well as what was the other big video on demand film we discussed last year? Veronica Mars. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And it's there's more and more films that are becoming available in this way. Uh, Nuan and I just watched the interview. Which I is, was wondering if you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just because it's on Netflix now? Yeah, straight. they just put it up on Netflix, and it's interesting to see what happened with that film. I would argue, based on I have not seen it personally, but based on the reviews that I've been hearing, I wonder if this actually helped them in the end. Maybe. I don't know. I think they, they have now made up the money that it costs to create and market the film. So they it hasn't been a loss for them. So they've actually been able to do – the film's done done okay, which is uh, just a really interesting story that um, you can release a film now, video on demand, and have it be a success. Um, you know, not – you can't do box office – blockbuster numbers it's not going to be the avengers but um it can be it can be its own success so um i hope video on demand stuff like this or video on demand can help films like this get a wider audience so please do check it out conrad anything you want to say before we open up those spoiler doors nope i think we we need to move on into spoiler territory so if you have not yet watched predestination Please press pause, go watch it, and then come back and listen to the rest of this podcast. That is correcto. Or if you have a time travel apparatus, you can probably <laughs> do this a lot faster. Um, so, Conrad, let's uh, open up those spoiler doors. Okay. Um, red alert, red alert. What did you think? Well, I would say, first of all, predestination. I think that the title of the film... It gives away a bit of what it's about. So so people are going to understand, if you are into sci-fi at all, that most likely this is going to be talking about a causal loop or a predestination paradox, which indeed it does. Yes. Um, so, yes. you know, the, the film opens up in a very sort of small way. You see Ethan Hawke, he's a bartender. Um, he is, we know that he's more than he seems mm -hmm. because we see the intro here in this film and but you don't really you 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 were kind of put off the scent by what he his mission is he has a mission he's on his way to find this fizzle bomber who has been everybody's been tracking him it sort of seems as if that may be why people are time traveling in the first place and part of his mission is at at this bar um i don't see i'm 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 hesitating, even though we're in spoiler territory, because I don't want to give away too much. Because I feel like it's it gives spoiler away. town. But it's, it's spoiler, spoiler town. town um, there's no way to have this. Discussion there's no way to have it without spoiling it. It's true. It's true. Um, he. Well, I will say so. Early on, we we see that this individual has some time travel ability. We know that this individual, the barkeep, um, has had some type of facial transplant. Right. I was. That's uh, the part I was sort of like, do we? Do we but say that? See, but I guess we have to. You know, you when you when you talk about it, it connects the dots much more clearly than my experience was watching, watching the it's film. True. Although I I will tell you, just because of the name of the film, I I assumed that he must be. I felt like he was going to run into himself, mm -hmm. and he did. So you know, so I thought that that was going to happen. So so you know that he's he has had enough of an accident that he doesn't even look like himself well, the anymore. The film is nodding, um, it's tipping its hat to the audience in mm -hmm. a few ways. I think you're absolutely right. The title is giving some of that away. If anyone who's seen any science fiction time travel film knows, Looper. 
for example. Yeah, Looper, <laughs> Back to the Future 2, um, you know, 12 Monkeys. Yes. If, uh, going back to last week, you know that the uh, the potential to run into yourself often comes up and it's, it's a very interesting idea. The other way I think the film is tipping its hat is there's a lot of um, – sort of uh, the villain or the antagonist in this film, you never get a sense of, you never really see this individual clearly. It's always this mysterious figure. And whenever you see that in these kind of films, um, the idea is it's someone you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I thought uh, that um, the unmarried mother, the character played by Sarah Snook, I, th- I was like, oh, well, that character's obviously the fizzle bomber. Um, I did not, however, see, even though that face transplant uh, scene is uh, appears early on, I did not connect the dots and uh, realize that the barkeep is the unmarried mother. Right. Um, and, and with that, and Carmen, then, everything is spoiled. Everything is spoiled now. I, I saw that coming. Um, I but- thought you would see we should talk Only, about this when we get to the plot twist, but right. I, I think you're smarter than I am when it comes to this stuff. I saw it coming because of the way, and this is a testament to these actors. I saw it in the way that he was interacting with her character, like an old friend, like he knew her um, or him rather. Um, because you know, by they, they, I, I guess, is a better way <laughs> to put it. Yeah. It gets very f- confusing. But what I thought was. One of the most interesting things about this film wasn't just the time traveling plot and the paradox plot, which it all was very interesting, but it was also about the interaction between the character, which you later find out they're interact they're all interacting with themselves. Yeah, and Ethan, the Ethan Hawke piece of this triumvirate has different pieces that he is supposed to carry out in order to keep this loop going, um, as do all of them. And there is just an interesting piece in how they interact in their relationships with each other that is so, it it raises a lot of interesting questions about how would you interact with yourself and is is your future self going to be different from your past self and what would your future self tell your past self to do? You know, like there's there's uh, all these really fascinating questions that are raised, um, and then that's where the film really shines. It's right. these questions of identity, these, these existential sort of things that um, it, it took me back to Gattaca. And uh, it took me to a lot of these science fiction films that I love. And but one of those lines that stick out for me is um, a snake that eats its own tail forever. Right. This sort of loop that continues in on itself. But this is where, Conrad, you and I must have – you, like I, pro- must have – had all these moments as a child where you wondered if I could meet my future self, what what would that be like? And now as an adult, I often wonder if I could meet myself as a kid, what would I tell that person? Well, uh, and then the question is, if you did tell that person what was going to happen, would that change fundamentally what they did? Yes. And, yes. you know, and often you think about these things if you've made mistakes or if there are regrets that you might have. And I think that those things also make somebody the person that they are and how they overcome those challenges and how they get through those moments in their life. So there is some, there is the whole morality, there's a morality question and an ethics question. Do you then change the whole path 
of yourself. And so that is a lot of what I see going on in this film. Yeah, you know, and that raises some of those questions that uh, reminds me of Star Trek and the prime direct- exactly. directive. And is there a temporal prime directive, a, a, a decree of non-interference? Um, I, I don't know, but this film is taking a, uh, a linear approach mm-hmm. to time travel, that these events um, uh, do impact a future that... Um, that even if it's changed, it still is impacting your life. You're not creating these these multiverses. You kind of have this uh, dynamic timeline where events in the past affect events in the future, and you're you're still living in the same universe, which gets very complicated to to watch, and is one of those reasons why you want to see the film again. Um, but I, I think you're absolutely right here, Conrad. The reason why this film was just so much fun to watch it was that bar scene. I, mm-hmm. I, that's kind of the the glue um, that holds this whole film together. It's where everything sort of converges on itself. And it's you could take the rest of the film away and you can take all the sci-fi elements away. And I, I do quite like that this film doesn't get stuck in the techno babble of mm-hmm. how time travel works. There is a little bit of an exposition dump in one of the scenes where, um, where the unmarried mother uh, jumps in time for the first time, which felt very much like that Inception scene. Yes, it did. Where, yeah, uh, but where, I thought that they handled the effect very well. Oh, yeah. It's great. It's so minimalistic. The, the, the time travel effect is done very well. And the interaction between the characters and how that is described, they don't go into it, as you said. They don't get too caught up in the details, which I think you kind of need for a film like this. There's already enough interesting things going on without getting into the mechanism. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of Looper, mm-hmm. where when those individuals meet each other for the first time um, and the, the young version of that character says, well, how does this time travel work? He's like, look, we're not, we're not going to get into this. We get into this, we're going to be drawing these timelines on napkins. It's going to be really complicated. But it, what's co- so cool about this film is you take away all the sci-fi stuff and if you just have that bar scene, it's such a fascinating story. Because you have the story of this unmarried mother who is is a intersex individual mm-hmm. who does have um, who does have sex organs for male and female, and due to a certain circumstances and kind of events beyond uh, her control, uh, loses her uh, male or her female sex organs. Well, and- what's interesting about that that is a piece of the plot which I was hoping you might chat with me about a little bit on here. Let's chat about it. Um, so. And this is, I read the short story and I read, and it was interesting just in how they handled it. Because the, the short story, it's actually a very famous short story. Had you heard about it before you heard of this I, film? No, no. I mean, of course, I've heard of the author, um, Heinlein, but I've not heard, uh, I, I'd never heard of this story. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like 50 years old, right? Yeah, it's from 1958. But it's something that a lot of people point to, a lot of people point to as a reference, especially. In, you know, in time travel type movies and things like sure. that. It's definitely one of those things that you'll hear about. And it it, it is a short story. It's very, it almost reads it's like, like nine pages. It almost <laughs> reads like a movie outline, honestly, like a, a yeah. like sort yeah. of a rough outline. Uh, the interesting thing I found about it, because the story was written in the 50s and this film was made now, um, is how they handle sexual identity. Oh, and yeah. so it, what happens to unmarried mother, who is John, his name is John at that point, and he 
gets pregnant and the doctors discover that he was able, his female organs were developed enough to carry a baby, but something happened during the operation, which they say they were forced to remove all the female organs. And now yeah. she's, now she is going to be going through some operations to then live as a man. Yes. And in both places, this was the biggest problem I was having actually yeah. with the film and with the the short story which is that you know i i don't I, the way people identify if if jane has been identifying as a woman this entire time she's not going to automatically be able to switch to identifying as a man yeah and maybe she does maybe because she has both sets of organs maybe she does feel differently and she talks about that a little bit in the film they don't really focus as much on that. It's just there. Um, they kind of have a couple of things that, that she'll say when I switched over, um, or he'll say, rather, when he switched over to being a man, women found him attractive. And in the in the short story, he suddenly finds women attractive. And I just think that that's a very archaic way of looking at it sexual is. identity. It, it, and of course, that's the... This was in the fifties, <laughs> and they're like so. Of course, we're going to see some of that. I just, I wish they had gone a little bit further in the film, and I know they probably couldn't, but it was just it kept irking me. Sure, during- one of the things that that um, irked me uh, when I read the uh, the short story, um, I believe the line is. Um, the- after the operation, after uh, not I shouldn't say operation, after the baby is, is delivered, the doctor said, well, you had no use for female organs after right. birth. Right, yeah, no, that was so the other piece. So we got rid of them. That was the, well, <laughs> that's in the film, they actually try to make it, there was something medical that happened that yes. made them. So they changed that a bit, and I was very happy that they did that. Um, although I feel like the short story was much more in line with the 50s viewpoint. Yeah. Um, which is you have no use for these after you have children because then you can't anymore, you know. So, so it's kind of weird. Well, um, so I think where this came from, the idea for this character was um, the premise of having an individual who is your both your mother and father to mm-hmm. yourself, right. and that uh, you are that person, and it's a loop, and it, it gets very confusing. Um, so I think it was a necessity for the original story. That's how this character came to be. Well, I do, but I also feel, in some ways, the the film handles this piece a little bit better because that, exactly that's, because that, jane because jane growing up feels like she is different and she's not really she she's finds sex to be not something she's interested in until she meets herself <laughs> later on and it it appears that which john is kind of like it's kind of strange it's and kind of strange it's God, right? more than kind of strange and <laughs> really just but it's an interesting thing, too, because she plays Sarah Snook. I have to say, I'm going to give you just a standing ovation uh, as an actor, actor. This is amazing what she did. Oh, phenomenal. Um, because you believe it. You believe that she, when she sees herself, or when he sees herself, rather, this gets so confusing, um, and understands that he is... is going to sleep with her and and that they're their own person although i don't know that he fully understands that yet but in any case you you get the sense that he is absolutely in awe of the fact of because he couldn't remember what 
he looked like as Jane. Yeah. Doesn't have any photos or anything like that. And looking back or meeting Jane, can't believe how beautiful she is and that he feels totally uh, sensitive to her and, and enamored with her and is not necessarily... It's not because because she's an attractive woman. It's because she's him. So it's a bit of a self love here going on too. So. Well, but I think it does. It is also because it it is a perception yes. of beauty and appearance that um, he did not appreciate before, and it's it speaks to this idea of if you could see yourself. Uh, through someone else's perspective, how would you see yourself differently? Um, I, I, I got to agree with you, Conrad Snook. Amazing. Uh, Rolling Stone said, you won't be able to take your eyes off Snook. An Aussie actress who makes whatever sex she's playing almost irrelevant. You watch her, you hear her, you believe it's a dynamic performance. And I think what, uh, to get back to your question or your concern um, you know, I think this film, wh- what I like about the film is it did, it's, it's the first film in a, in, in a while that I can think of that featured an intersex character. Well, right. And I'm very happy and, that they did that. I think this is just a fascinating thing that, and, and really, we've been actually seeing a lot more transgender characters that, um, have been appearing in, in television shows and things like that. But yeah, Transparent just won a, a bunch of Golden right, Globes right, a couple of weeks ago, which is but, awesome. But, but this is but this is something totally different and unique that they've yeah, and, decided and to portray I th- here. I think Jen, while the intersex aspect of this character was was uh, was really great to have that feature, is um, I think the gender aspect um, and sexual orientation aspect was neglected. And, oh, agreed, agreed. But and, I, I also do. You, did you get the sense that they weren't quite sure how to deal with that? I don't think they were, and I, I think there's a lot that's implied that this character did go through. A journey, and we mm-hmm. see one scene where there's a scene. Uh, uh, it seems like um, the unmarried mother is, uh, for the first time, considering some acceptance of this uh, of now being a male, mm-hmm. and that scene is a pretty powerful one. And you get the implication that there's been a lot that has. Uh, brought this character to this point, but it, it's all happened off scene. Um, so, uh, right, I, and those are some of those things are things I would be interested to see. Yeah, but yeah. you get, but you also get the sense that this is a very lonely character. It from the time she was Jane, and then following that as John, and then now as the bartender. Um, so it's, and later as the fizzle, which right, right. I, which I, the I have, fizzle part. Oh. I have a hard time saying that without laughing because it's such a ridiculous name, well, which is what which the is point tr- was. So they make fun of yeah. it throughout the entire uh, story. The fizzle bomber ultimately, and, you know, that's the, that's what Jane John becomes. And it's it's a reference to uh, a line from the um, the book, which is the the Fizzle War of mm-hmm. nineteen sixty three. So that's where it's coming from, and and I'm glad that they did make fun of it. Um, 
But I also think that part of why they did change it from the short story was that they needed something a little bit extra. They needed him to have a mission. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's why they put that in there. And I think that it belonged in there. It didn't feel too terrible, although part of it did. Um, well, can I ask you this? What What was your take on, um, you know, the setting of this film? Because it is sort of this parallel or alternate universe. It, it does sort of have that uh, Mad Men meets yeah. Gattaca with a, some adjustment bureau thrown into it sort of look and feel. Um, you know, they didn't update this and make this a film set in 2015 they, they mm -hmm. kept it in its original setting uh, did that work for you it worked for me because i think you can it's enough uh, because they keep it in such a small way the film they don't go around looking at too many landmarks they do a little bit but not um i think people would expect except that this is just its own little film universe they're not I don't think you're going to think too much about that. Mm -hmm. um, in, are you thinking just in terms of continuity? Well, I just, you know, it's a, it's an interesting choice to make this not only set in a different universe, but also not have any major connections to our own. You're, you're absolutely right. This could almost be any town, USA or any town, Australia. <laughs> right. And uh, I feel like they made it, I think it was deliberately done yeah. so that you wouldn't be getting too caught up in those details. So I wasn't really bothered by that. It also had a, as you said, it had a bit of a Mad Men fifties feel, which I think is appropriate given, <laughs> given where the yeah. the setting and the timing and all of that. Um, and you even have that feel a little bit um, in the bar, which is supposed to be in the seventies. So it's, I think they did a pretty good job in keeping that, those pieces of it vague enough so that yeah. you're not questioning the universe too much. The the big criticism that's come up, in addition to the role of gender and sexual orientation, which you mentioned too, Conrad, that's come up in a lot of reviews. Um, some have said this film um, had a slow pace and it was too predictable. And, you know, I think the predictability, it's not... I got swept into it. I usually do get swept into most films. But even then, I think that there's enough interesting uh, stuff going on with uh, the unmarried mother that, that pulls you in. Um, but a lot of people have complained about the pace of this film. And I didn't really have the problem. I do... Uh, in fact, I felt like it things moved kind of too quickly at the end. But I, I enjoyed how the story was unfolding in front of me. I did too. And I didn't, I read some of the comments about the pacing and I didn't really feel that at all. Um, so I think that they did a good job at moving it along. And if anything, as you said, it did to me, it moved a little bit quickly in some places where I would have liked to hear, for example, a little bit more about how as John is, is going through the, the, the change and after the surgery, because that's that's like a very drastic thing, and you, and they imply it, but they don't go into that as much. So I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of that kind and of. And I, I would have liked to have seen a little bit of what's John's thought process with. Well, I just slept with myself. Right, and... that would have been a great <laughs> little piece. So. <laughs> what? Is going on. You know, Conrad, I was thinking like, would I... Well, not if, just that, but I just slept with myself and now I know that I am the 
cause of all this pain yes and yes. the cause of myself becoming john yes ultimately you know so so that's another huge thing it's well, it's the, like a very a very very strange you could think about this forever <laughs> never the, the, come the, to the, never come to a good conclusion the the cognitive dissonance of uh i hate this person oh my gosh i am that person and I what love does this that make person. me and i love this person so i'm not gonna leave them and then that moment comes and john does leave and then you know it's that gets back to the whole title predestination right. you know and, and the idea of fate and which makes me think of terminator 2 and no fate but what we make um versus terminator 3 which is you can't stop judgment day so uh boy i i, I think it, for all fans of the genre this is going to be something that not only honors a lot of sci-fi that's come before but gives you something new and something fresh mm-hmm. um it did feel like it was um just a bit of a fresh bre- uh, a breath of fresh air um in in this time travel uh universe of of films um yeah conrad i, I don't really have much more I don't have any real criticism to say beyond the stuff that's come up, but even then, I'm kind of good yeah. with it. No, and the only the only other piece I was going to bring up about this is just in the difference between the short story and the film, which is a change I really liked, was the character of Jane in the short story is treated as a, you know, she's treated as like, she's not a typical woman in the 50s, but... She neglects her studies to go to charm school in order to be more charming, (laughs) to be accepted into the Space Corps, which would allow her to fly um, in space. And even though that means basically becoming a concubine for the astronauts. Um, And then in the film, they change that a bit. And Jane is actually extraordinarily smart and good at math and and all the things that would have made her an astronaut were she not a female. Yeah, and I I was yep. very pleased that they changed that piece of it, and very happy that they did so. Um, and so that that was just another little piece of it because then when uh, Jane becomes John, John says, "Oh, I I think maybe I'm going to go and try to get back into that program," which is how he eventually finds out about the time travel program. Um, well, and, and there's ultimately, an- but it's it's you know it's an interesting little piece in this whole film about not just about gender identity but about gender roles which i i appreciated yeah and there's a a nice moment there where the doctors realize who this person is and um they kind of uh look at him as a uh as a freak as a specimen as something to study which i think does speak to some of the the cultural ideas back then um so the, that's where this film is giving us a lot of meat, a lot mm-hmm. to think about, a lot to explore, a lot to talk about. Um, with that, Conrad, shall we set the uh, the chronometer on the infinite crossover chamber? Sure. All right. Let's venture into the infinite crossover chamber. So today we're talking predestination and we're crossing it over with All You Zombies, the original short story, the very, very short story. Conrad, what is the question today? I think that the question is a little bit vague, um, but the question is, which 
which version of the story is a more timey-wimey and or compelling story. (laughs) (laughs) I know. The Venn diagram there, timey-wimey, doesn't necessarily imply compelling. Uh, But there is some stuff in the middle of that Venn diagram. Um, maybe, Maybe the question should be, when presented with the plot twist, which is tough because if you kind of knew what the plot twist was, but which which way is it more earth shatter, shattering? Maybe mm. which co- which has more of an effect? Yeah, yeah. Well, this is interesting because uh, as you mentioned before, the the short story almost reads like an outline, mm-hmm. and um, it is short. And my first, inst- I read the short story after reading or after seeing the film and uh, I was surprised at how much the film honored the short story and how some of the lines from that bar dialogue were lifted straight mm-hmm. from the short story. Yeah, the, the, the film had to expand greatly and added on some new subplots and all of that. But the core aspect of the story is right there in All You Zombies. Well, it is, and other than the points that we just chatted about, I think the the short story is solid. It was a great idea. It's clear that it it has had a lot of influence in terms of of sci of other sci fi stories and films. But it is a, it's it's pretty much an outline. I can see a, a director or or a writer really looking at this and getting very excited because there's a lot to work with there. Yeah. Yeah, but the premise is already set. Um, but the premise is set, and it's it's something that I think was very easy to take and honor it, as you say, but also make it your own. And I think that they did that. And we've seen that with a lot of Philip K. Dick uh, short stories. They uh, Many of them have become expanded into um, larger feature films, whether it's A Scanner Darkly or uh, Blade Runner. Um, a lot of those came from shorter works. But this was very, this is like the shortest short story I've seen that was adapted into a film. Right. Um, but in the timey-wimey aspects, do you feel like the film did a good job at describing that or do you feel like the short story was more succinct in how it described what you know, was going on here with this plot? Honestly, Conrad, they were both pretty timey-wimey. I know. Uh, there's well, a lot. Clearly, a given, lot. given what it was about, but yes. I thought reading the short story, oh, okay, this is going to make so much more sense than the film. Like the film, you do sort of lose track a bit, but no, it jumps. The second half of the short story, it jumps a lot. It gets and, very timey-wimey. And it leaves you with a lot more questions than answers at the end, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. It really does. I, 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 I think the... The surprise aspect I felt more it's again it's hard for me to judge since I read the book or read the story after, but there were lines that really stuck out to me in the book. One I wrote down with a face like yours or mine. Mm-hmm. And I felt like there was a, a little there was a lot of nodding your hat to the audience here too. And um but you know, the film does that as well. Um so I thought they were kind of even there. I, I think the um the book the short story leaves a lot more questions. Mm-hmm. I feel I feel like the short story leaves a lot more of the mystery, and of course, it doesn't have the aspect of the the fizzle bomber, but it leaves a lot more questions no. about existence and what all of this means at the end. So there's this interesting little ending, which is how it gets its title, which is yeah. um, the the character, the, which is now I don't even know what to call the character at the end. 
Um, barkeep? Barkeep, I guess, is is saying, I know how I got here. Like, I know all the aspects of my little time loop, so how did everybody else get here? <laughs> and yeah. there, there's an intro, it's a very interesting ending, and... I, I mean, I think it's a pretty powerful ending, and I think it's part of why this this had such an effect on people. It kind of just hits you in the gut, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Um, and it, it ends in a way where it makes you sort of question, um, well, how did you get here? This individual has come full circle and has full knowledge of the the, the events that contributed to becoming who they are now. And it leaves you wondering, what about you? And the film, on the other hand, it does wrap up in a bit more of a bow. And I don't think the film makes you, it doesn't turn the lens on, on you. No, which um, I think is, is, part of the the beauty of the the story Um, yeah so i found that to be an interesting change and so that's what the debate you know oh conrad i I was coming in here with a big weight towards predestination but that right there this discussion is making me think all you zombies yeah see it's tough that way (laughs) Oh, this is a good one. We have we have constructed a very fine crossover today. Um, I, I think that's what science fiction at its best is making you question things about humanity. It's it it is about social commentary. It is about existence, about what makes us human, and I think that is done far better in the short story, despite it being so old and despite it having the weird gender um, mm. kind of stuff, um, you don't need these feeble organs anymore. We'll just take them out, which in defense of Heinlein, this, that's what kind that's of what they researchers did. <laughs> yeah, totally. which, is, which is so scary and terrifying to think about. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Um, but and not to mention some of the experiments that there, that were going on with gender identity at the time. So, Oh yeah. A lot of uh, the uh, John Money stuff yeah. and um, uh, uh, whew, really some, you know, if you want to really get angry, go look up some of those early psychological studies on, on gender and sex. Oh, they make me so angry. I oh yeah. Yeah, I know. Uh, but we won't go into that here. I, no. you know, in thinking about this question, I really, in, I feel like they present the different faces of the character of Jane John Barkeep very well in the film, and it raises some different questions than the short story does. But I, I do think that the short story does a better job at leaving us with some of that that thought process and mystery, and debating those questions. Um, the film has them there, but not as powerfully. So are you voting all you zombies? I think I have to. You're not just doing that because you're also the co-host of Reanimated Zombie Podcast, right? No, no, no. Okay. Of course. Just want to make sure. I, I would never do that. <laughs> um, uh, although I will say that when I saw this recommendation from you for this episode and I saw the all you zombies part, I'm like, ah, oh, Conrad, sneaking <laughs> in another zombie thing. But that I was proven wrong. Yes, I um, wouldn't have done that. That's terrible. <laughs> and if I had, Stuart Tiffin would have been asked to be a guest. That's right. That's right. Um, well, okay. So we got two picks for all you zombies. Uh, dear listeners, please let us know uh, what you thought. Um, and if you haven't read All You Zombies, honestly, it took like not that much time at all. Yeah, and I don't read it, at Conrad speed. Yeah, and it was a dollar seventy-five, I think, on Kindle if, if you just want to download it and read it. 
Yeah, super easy, super cheap. Um, so check it out. Let us know what you think. Um, let's close up those doors on the infinite crossover chamber. And on to our top five. Conrad, what do we got on our top five today? Well, our top five is going to be, I'd say it has to be a little shorter than usual because of what we are doing here and what we are. <laughs> the The top five list is our top five favorite plot twists in dun, films. Dun, but because they are plot twists, we do not want to spoil them for people. So we're going to keep it at a minimum and yep. not spoil the film's. But no. I, w- I will say that everyone on my list is one that people should watch. Yeah. And, uh, you know, my criteria here was I didn't see the twist coming. It surprised me. And I really enjoyed it. That was yeah. pretty much it. Yep. And I've got a few honorable mentions. And the reason why they're honorable mentions is because the plot twist was, twist was either spoiled for me or um, I saw it coming. Right. So, Conrad, what's your um, what's your number five? Uh, so my number five is actually a film that I don't think a lot of people have seen or even heard about. It is a film called Dead Again. Dead Again. Yep. It was made in 1991 and it was one of these little side projects that kind of happened directed by Kenneth Branagh when he was all that and, uh, stars him and Emma Thompson as well oh. as Andy Garcia, um, Robin Williams, uh, Wayne Knight, Derek Jackson. Yeah, like it, it has a lot of really great people in it. And it. I will totally say it is not the best film, but it's very much in the style of a film noir. It can be a bit over the top, but it was a film that I had a lot of fun with. So... Well, Connor, Conrad, you are the knower of things, and I, <laughs> I want to check it, that out. It can get a bit cheesy, but it's... It was fun. Um, I have not watched it in a very long time, so it may be dated at this point. But I, it was, it was an enjoyable film, and the plot twist was was pretty awesome. So, anyway, well, um, my number five is something that most people will probably recognize and probably remember. Uh, my number five is the movie Seven. Uh, this is from uh, that 19- is my number three. Ah, uh, we both have a lot of love for these David Fincher films, yes, so I am we not do. surprised that it's on on your list as well. Um, there's not much to say for me, but it's you know it's got Morgan Freeman, Brad Pitt, Kevin Spacey, um, great cast. I really like this director. Um, boy, this movie gets intense at times, but. Um, uh, it, it kind of grabbed me and uh, did not let me go till the uh, till the end. What about you, Conrad? Why why is uh, seven on yours? Uh, seven is on mine because I definitely did not see that particular plot twist coming, and also I couldn't sleep for many nights after watching the film. Oh yeah, there is something extraordinarily terrifying and horrible, but fascinating about the film. Um. You know, so yes, I, I, I that's why it, it made it onto my list. Yeah, and the twist, I just did not even, I didn't see that coming in well, any way, like, shape, what? or form. Nope. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and I totally. and I remember leaving the theater just kind of in shock <laughs> and really disturbed that a man had brought a child to watch that film in the same audience. So well. He- 
You know, I got lucky. I just saw this film about four or five years ago on uh, DVD, and I had somehow avoided all spoilers about it. I do not know how that happened, but I uh, I lucked out, so um, I really enjoyed it. Um, okay, what's your number four? My number four is another film from the 90s, and I will say I I personally did see this particular plot twist coming but I still thought it was amazing how everybody else reacted to this. Hmm. Um, and it was 1992's Crying Game, uh. which was written and directed by Neil Jordan. So anyway, I will, I'll just leave that right there. <laughs> I don't remember it well. I really don't. We're going to have to have a post-episode okay. spoilery discussion about it. Um, uh, the Crying Game. You Okay. We'll go with that. My number four is uh, a film you should remember, Conrad, because we recently watched it together, although I had seen it uh, a long time before, and that is 1958's Vertigo by Alfred Hitchcock. Um, you know, in, in regards to Hitchcock films, um, uh, the natural uh, the natural film that comes up is, uh, oh boy, I'm blanking on, on the name, um, Psycho, of course, um, and there's a there's a plot twist in that one as well. But I like Vertigo better. Mm. Um, Vertigo, maybe it's because it takes place in San Francisco, and I grew up in the San Francisco Bay. But uh, just the score, the cinematography, um, it just it felt more creepy to me, and it just felt like um, more of an engrossing film. So um, can't really say too much about it, but uh, Vertigo is my number four. Uh, that was on my honorable mentions, but I agree with you. I think it's a fantastic film and everybody should watch it. I think yeah. that's going to be what I say for every single one. Of these I know films. there's not much else you can't <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> and we talked about my number three, which was seven. Yeah. What was your number three? Uh, my number three is a film by Christopher Nolan, and this is um, his uh, one of his early films, 2000's Memento. I had that on um, honorable mentions only because I thought we had talked about that, and so I didn't want to take up a slot. But yes, that that was a definitely a very memorable plot twist. Yeah, I really like Memento. Um, Oh, boy, I could I could really talk about the the psychology here too. Uh, there's and this is another film that makes you just think afterwards, and you you just can't stop talking about it. So. Yeah, you know it's it's uh, uh, one interesting tidbit I can share about this. Um, Nuan has a very very high. My my partner here, Nuan, has a very high tolerance for gore in film and um, stuff that most people would be kind of creeped out by, like like Seven. A lot of stuff in Seven will not affect her at all. But stuff that gets really into psychologically weird stuff, like Memento, that will freak her out. So I was did trying you, to show... Did you see this in the theater or did you no. see it? Well, um, I saw it on DVD. Uh, uh, okay, because like a year after it came out, when I saw I saw it in the theater, and the reaction from the audience for one, there's a few big reveals, but there's a very big reveal and twist, and people were vocal in the audience uh, yeah. <laughs> when that reveal <laughs> happens, and just it was just fascinating, just a fascinating thing to be watching that and to see the reaction from the audience. So, well, Nuan and I didn't even get it get to the end. Uh, I mean, I had already seen it before I was showing her. But oh, she couldn't finish I, watching it. No, she was like, "No, this is too freaky for me." Like uh -huh. it was really, it's 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 amazing. It is um, amazing. 
But yeah. yes, it is a yeah. little freaky. So. so that's my number three. Conrad, what's your number two? Uh, my number two is Fight Club. Oh, what? We have a mind meld. No, we don't really. Yeah, we do. My number two is Fight Club. I kind of thought this would end up on your list or on your honorable mention. So I, I did think that perhaps, perhaps this would... Uh, it's been so long since we had the same number, like a pure mind belt. This is this is great. In it's another the, Fincher yeah. film too. So. Yeah, yeah. We I, love those. We love this. I was uh, I was like, oh, I can't. I don't want to put two Fincher films on. But I'm like, no. But these are the ones. These are the ones but that clearly, really got me. And clearly, he's very good at the plot twist. So. Oh yeah, yeah. He totally this, is. This was an amazing one, and and how they reveal it all is just. It's so well done. It's really, really well done. I just really, I still enjoy this film. It does hold up. I still adore it. So I saw that's this what I'm going to say. I, I saw this in the theater. I saw it when it came out. And um, I was I was an older teenager. And I felt like it was a movie that was really speaking to me. So I just, uh, I saw this in the theater like five, six times. I saw it a bunch of times. I saw it like, at least <laughs> twice in the theater. Oh, so good. I may good. have seen it more. But it was so good. So Yeah. Um, another Fincher film, a Chuck Palahniuk novel. Um, check it out. It is uh, celebrating a big anniversary now. It's been uh, it's been a long time, just about fifteen years here. Uh, and there's like a sequel. There's like a graphic novel sequel. Yeah, I have not read it though. No, I haven't, and I, I've heard that it's actually surprisingly good. So um, check that out. So uh, number one, Conrad. Um, I've been going. I've been letting you go first. No, you should go first. It's okay. I should go first. Yeah. Okay. I want to let you off the hook and let you kind of save up your uh, and your big reveal here. Um, unless we've got a mind melt. We may. It's possible. It's possible. My number one is 1968's Planet of the Apes. Oh, that's not mine. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> not even close. But go ahead. Well, that's a pretty um, good reveal, though. You're right. This is. Again, one of those ones where surprisingly it was not spoiled for me. I saw this as a kid. Um, I saw it with my dad and brother. And when the end comes and there's the massive reveal, which is I think one of the greatest reveals of all time, which Mad Men totally spoiled in in, their, in an episode last season. I know. I um, was actually thinking that when they spoiled it. I'm like, oh, I'm like, how are you doing this? Um, I guess the writers thought the statute of limitations on done. 1968 film is done. It's just a part of the canon Clearly now. they don't believe in spoiler alerts. No. Um, but when that film ended, I had the same reaction that Don Draper has watching that, where it's like, whoa, what? And I remember turning to my dad and turning to my brother and going, wait, what what does this mean it changes your complete view of all of the events that have come mm -hmm. before and that's what some of the great plot twists do and but it does it in a way where it's not a gimmick it is adding so many more layers to what you've seen and it makes you want to immediately rewatch so you can appreciate the film in a new way and just the 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 inner the integration of the social commentary the um the wonderful score Charlton Heston's performance you know Conrad you and I've talked about our love for Planet of the Apes before so I don't need to go on and on but um in my mind, it will always be the ultimate plot twist. All right. Uh, I, I'll give you that. I think that that's like a solid choice. Absolutely. Now, you're not going to say Citizen Kane, are you? No. No, I am not. <laughs> uh, we have talked about this one before, though. Um, it is The Usual Suspects. 
Oh, of course. Of course. Which I ha- I couldn't leave out because of how I felt when I watched this. I did see it. I knew something must be going on, but when they tied it together so succinctly, I was like, okay, that's that's good job. Um, and oddly enough, two of my films have Kevin Spacey in them. Yeah. So, yeah, two. So, you know. Uh, two of my um, films have Brad Pitt in them. I know. Uh, and two of mine do too, since we had... Oh, that's right. You we both have right. those two films. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's it's part of why that ends up on there is it's very rare for a film to surprise me as much as some of these on this list did. So um, very well done. Well done, directors and writers. Um, and then on the um, honorable mentions, I had yeah, Memento, Vertigo. Um, I did have Sixth Sense, but I did see that coming. So that was... The why it was honorable mention, yeah. Um, Donnie Darko, and that's about. I just wanted to keep it light, so I, I cut it off there. I just want to keep it light, so I'll end with Donnie Darko. <laughs> no light in the number of. I didn't want to go because no, like, I could I probably go on, but there, you know, the, so the top I, fi- the top five are are pretty much it though. They're the good. sixth sense. Um, it wasn't spoiled for me. I didn't see it coming, but everyone. T- well. I mean, everyone told me there's a big twist. You won't see it coming, and then I was constantly looking for looking it, and for I saw it, yeah. it coming. Yeah. yeah. Um, the The other one um, is The Empire Strikes Back. Oh, uh, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's as pretty good kid, as a kid. It is definitely. Yeah, but it, it was something that I knew of. I don't think it was spoiled, but it was just. I mean, it it, it just kind of was known at that point that. Um, you know, I, I, I mean, I can, that I can reveal, right, Conrad, that Luke Skywalker is the son of Darth Vader. Yeah, um, I, think, I think you could reveal that's, that. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a part probably, of the canon. That's probably okay now. Yeah. So, um, I, I just kind of knew it. So it wasn't really, it didn't really hit me hard, but I think, uh, in retrospect, that must've been just ultimate. Um, we do have just a little bit of uh, listener feedback. Uh, we got some uh, some great comments on Twitter this week. Um, at Claudia Path, uh, really enjoyed our culture and mental health episode. That's episode eighteen that we did a while back. So uh, thank you, Claudia, for for that. Um, I think Conrad, that's that's one of the. Uh, it's a heavier episode of Nerd Hour, but it is uh, I think probably one of the most important episodes we've done. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Um, we also got a top five uh, from Justin Weathersby at Weeby LLC. Um, his top five were the uh, top five last week. Conrad, what was our top five last week for uh, for 12 Monkeys? I'm totally blanking on it now. Oh, yeah, it was top um, films to TV adaptations. Right. And um, his top five were The Dead Zone, Fame, Dukes of Hazard, Weird Science, MASH, and of course, um, MASH, of course, and honorables were Odd Couple, Harry and the Hendersons. Ah, The Dead Zone, I forgot about that one. That I is totally, a really, that is an awesome choice. Totally forgot about that. And uh, a tip of my hat to you, good sir, on mind melding with me on MASH. Um, Age of Geek on Twitter also gave um, some love to our episode number 50. A lot of love coming in for episode number 50 and um, said that they really enjoyed the reference to Simon Pegg's definition of a geek and said that they have that quoted and framed on their studio wall. Hmm. Uh, What's funny about that, Conrad? Hours later... It was announced that Simon Pegg is going to be co-writing the next Star Trek film. 
Well, that seems so, about right. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Um, Mr. Pegg, good luck. I know you are a listener of this fine podcast, and uh, we wish you nothing but the best. And you are uh, uh, from two nerds to a geek. Uh, uh, may you boldly go. Conrad, um, I think that's it for the show. Uh, yes. Where can people find you this week? Well, the Reanimated Podcast is back on air, so I'm over there once a week with Stuart Tiffin reviewing all things zombie. We're we're doing some reviews of season three of Walking Dead right now, uh, and that's yeah. I was gonna hope I was hoping for some sound effects there. Um, and that's reanimatedpodcast.com, and on on Twitter it's reanimatedpcast. Um, and on Twitter, I'm at Die Prince, and I was very much enjoying your uh, your new project and the the great kale shortage panic. <laughs> of, you know what the the interesting thing is is that I have noticed that this is something that happens every time there is a hurricane or a blizzard. Brooklyn residents and maybe it's all of New York residents buy out the kale. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's, it's it's really insane. It's sort of like, could we be more cliche? Oh no, <laughs> like, it's so it's so hilarious. It's, it's that and um, kombucha. It's a kombucha. Kombucha is out. That yeah, is yeah, out. Absolutely. It's those two things. It's like somehow they think that this is going to be like like they will not survive, and people actually get really upset if it's if it's all out. So anyway, I just thought For that was hilarious. You- for those of you wondering what we're talking about, um, on this week's episode of The Psych Show, my weekly exploration to all things psychology, I talk about um, a panic in response to <laughs> the blizzard of 2015. Or, so or non-blizzard for us here in, in New York. Yeah. If you go to thepsychshow.com, you can check out that video. And um, I am also at uh, brainknowsbetter.com, and, uh, which is a little bit on hiatus while The Psych Show kind of builds up. Um, and you can also find me on Twitter at Alima2. And you can always find both of us at Nerd Hour on Twitter. And we also have a website, superfantasticnerdhour.com or nerdhour.com. And info at superfantasticnerdhour. We'd love to get your feedback. Remember, your feedback may be shared on an upcoming episode of this fine podcast. Conrad. I, I would also like to hear people's favorite films with plot twists because I'm always looking for, for new stuff to watch so send us your favorite plot twist do not spoil the plot twist yes yes just say what it is and we'll watch it i though i might have like just kind of uh, you know sometimes you say that and then someone's like oh i'm totally gonna mess with him and then you get that so i know but maybe i should have said that but whatever you just um, you just laid it all out there it's your, it's your fault now ollie but anyway. i'm gonna have to go back in time and um, erase that from ever happening. I'm gonna have to call up the fizzle, the fizzle bomber. The fizzle bomber. Um, so Conrad, uh, that was a really fun discussion. I feel like Mike's consciousness has been expanded a little bit. Um, I can't wait for next week. And uh, until then, please do me a favor and continue to live long and prosper. Mm-hmm.